to the Onyx Pathcast. I am this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me is Dixie Cochran. Hello! Um, once again, it's just the uh, two of us uh, flying um, because Matthew's unavailable for reasons. We can make it if we try. We can just make the two it of if us. <laughs> just, I can't sing, no. You and I. <laughs> <laughs> right. You knew where I was going, but I wasn't going to go there. Oh, no, I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's why I said we can make it if we try. I was hoping that one of us would burst into song. <laughs> just for future reference, it is never going to be me. <laughs> you just did. You I, I stopped myself because I realized what a horrible idea that was. <laughs> yeah, I know. Usually it's me. Sometimes it's Matthew. It's true. Sometimes it is Matthew. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, um, uh, th- this week, uh, as particular clear, we are, we are flying without Matthew again. Um, are we flying? So, yes. We're Where flying are we flying through to? The air. Uh, I have two tickets to paradise. <laughs> oh no why would you take me instead of your wife <laughs> she's got work to do you know how it is it's, wait is, is is paradise where you and i just sit in separate rooms and get to read books all yes. alone and don't oh have any god. work to do oh my god that would be amazing <laughs> okay awesome awesome i am down i am down with this paradise <laughs> i have a huge stack i have to get through oh my god i have so many sherlock holmes books i have to finish what are we talking about this week, Eddie? <laughs> we're talking about our, our to, to read piles, obviously, as that's what we're here for right now. Now, um, uh, uh, this week we are going to talk about uh, Technocracy Reloaded, actually. What? Uh, What's because, a technocracy? What, what is technocracy? Well, um, technocracy, uh, according to the website, um, is uh, a supplement for Macy's Ascension 20th Anniversary Edition. It's going to be a beautiful deluxe edition of said's book. Um, so, obviously, the technocracy is a mage thing apparently it's, no, a, I, it's it, a book it's, it's a book of, of, of stuff called technocracy um no there's actually a, a lot more to it than that um if it's... only we had guests that could explain it to us once we get to them right but not at the moment we'll just kind of shove them in the closet okay. for a bit longer all right fine i got a thing i gotta, I gotta talk about um uh, but i mean it, right now as of recording we have 23 days left to go we've already got one hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars on kickstarter um, which is which is huge compared to our thirty five thousand dollar goal, uh, and I, I think it's fair to say that we were a little nervous about this Kickstarter, to be honest, uh, because of the current environment we're in. A lot of people are worried about money. Um, other Kickstarters have um, struggled in March twenty twenty because of the coronavirus, particularly um, the, the lockdowns mm-hmm. in um, Europe and in the, the North America. Um, so we were like, well, Mage does well, uh, but supplements don't do as well as core books. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, and apparently the answer is, it goes just fine. Mage fan's gonna mage fan. Like, it's, it's, really. <laughs> that's absolutely true. And while supplements don't always do as well as core books, there is a kind of a, a category of, of core-ish mm-hmm. books. Oh, yeah. Um, that Like uh, the... Um, the, the uh, quote unquote fat splats for Exalted. I know they do really well. Yeah, Dragon Blooded Lunar is soon soon to be coming Exigence, hopefully. We'll see what Ooh, happens. Exigence. Um, but we're not here to talk about Exigence. Um, Aww. I had a maybe, whole thing prepared. You did not have a whole thing prepared. You were lying. It's true. I did not. I did not have a thing <laughs> prepared at all. I uh, I could bullshit about Exigence for a while. I do know what they are. Sure, uh, yeah. But it, w- it, w- it wouldn't take up a, a nice solid hour of uh, podcast time. 
No, it would, it would be it would be off the cuff. And in fact, um, I think it's fair to say that uh, neither of us are, are deeply knowledgeable about Tanakhs Reloaded. So we have invited a, a couple of guests to come on board uh, to the developers for Tanakhs Reloaded, um, Travis Legg and Danielle Lazon. Welcome, guys. Yay, welcome. Hello. It's a Danielle and a Travis. Hooray. Um, for, for listeners, we had a trouble with this earlier, so we're glad that it's all working now. Yay. Yay. Um, so, uh, thank you guys for coming on board and, uh, what are you thinking so far about the, how the Kickstarter is doing? I am blown away. Um, because I have like, you know, <clears throat> self-esteem issues and imposter syndrome and all that fun stuff that one gets yeah. at working as a creative. I just kept thinking to myself as we were in the lead up, like, I'm going to steer this thing right off a cliff. And I realized that I am not even you know, probably in the top five most responsible people for why this is doing as well as it is. But, um, you know, if it would have uh, gone the other way, I certainly would have uh, held all the blame in my oh, heart. The blame would have been for me, not you. Don't worry. <laughs> There's only one set of blame. You two must now fight over it. I will allow you to split the blame equally, but... Um, as you just stated, all the success is clearly not earned or yours because that's how creatives feel. Exactly. Like, yeah. If something does filled. well, it is never because you did the thing right. And if something does terribly, it's because you fucked up your part of it yeah. and it ruined the whole thing. Yes, I'm glad you understand. Exactly. Yeah, no. I I, I completely understand. Um Yeah, I I have been worried about ruining many a Kickstarter and I don't take pride in that many of them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Hi, welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> welcome is... to the uh, Creative Depression Hour with <laughs> Dick Fanny, Travis, and Daniel. The imposter syndrome cast, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, but I think, I think it's yeah, honestly, but... it's, I can't think of very many people in our field who don't at some time think that, right? Like, the whole time leading up to the Pugmire Kickstarter, I was like, this is a dumb little dog game. I'll be happy if it funds. Um, and every time people are like, oh my God, Pugmire is great. And it's like, well, cool. I'm glad you like it, but I don't feel like I had much to do with it, even though I Didn't literally write, had everything like, to do with it. The whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. It was like you. That was <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, no, it's like, no, it's because of our Chinese, my Chinese art and because Rich helped out and because these people wrote these couple of sections and it's obviously it's all them. <laughs> <laughs> So I didn't have a whole lot to do with this game I wrote. Right. <laughs> wait, wait. Does that mean that I get the credit for editing? Yes, obviously. You're, you're Pugmire is part of my one. success. I'm going right. to steal it from Eddie now. <laughs> but, but, that, 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 to me, it makes perfect sense. That's perfectly logical. I will be taking your business credit card. And, you can't uh, steal. You can't <laughs> steal royalties. something nobody owned. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, and particularly with something like... Um, technocracy is that um, there's also you're building on past successes and past material and past developers even. Um, so I, I, I suspect, I know how I, when, I, when, when I worked at V20, I felt like, well, if anything's good, it's because the past people did a great job and everything sucks, it's because I, I ruined it. Yes. But yeah, I don't well, think- And I have a weird thing where I like flip between the oh, two. Really? Um, yeah, so... Um, 90% of the time it's imposter syndrome and the other 10% of the time it's like, well, pff, obviously it's because I'm awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think that's probably got to do with, 
Um, not so much that I, uh, that I have bipolar disorder, but that I was raised by someone with it. Oh. So I've got a lot of learned bipolar disorder behaviors. My completely different problem is, is that uh, if there is work that everybody's like, man, that was great and amazing that I worked on, especially as a developer, um, that I wasn't like technocracy, right? I, I have this like, nobody recognizes that I did any work on it. Mm-hmm. I believe that no one recognizes that I did any work on it, even if that's not true. Right. Uh, and then if I did work on something and it's crappy, then I'm like, oh, everybody's blaming me. Everybody knows I worked on that and they hate me because of it. Like, I don't, right. I don't know how right. I reconcile those two beliefs in my brain, but I do. Well, I mean, reconciliation is not really... It's not what important. we're talking about here, you know. It's it's, it's really <laughs> not important. It, it, it's more how can I? You ride those waves of like this is. I'm really into this. I'm doing some really good work, and then up and down crashes. I think it's just part of the creative process to a degree. It's not great, um, but I mean, I think so. Again, especially when you're working on adapting something or, or updating something, is mm-hmm. the how much of it is you, how much of it is old work, where you find that balance, and then it's harder to kind of uncouple yourself from from the, the collective material that you're adding to. Yep, yep. Uh, so, I mean, but we're, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit. Um, let's kind of pull back. Um, <laughs> let's so just let's, talk about the development and creative process for an hour and how it messes with all of our various mental illnesses. I think it's pretty much the subtitle of this podcast, really. This <laughs> true, <laughs> true. But let's talk about technocracy and be excited about it because it's done amazing. It, it has. That's actually what I want First of all, how did you two get attached to this project? Oh, wow. Uh, so back in, I was looking at my email. So it was like back in August, uh, Matthew uh, sent out an email to like a slew, a slew of <laughs> developers. It was like, hey, this project is struggling. Uh, Phil needs to take a sabbatical. Can anybody pick it up? Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, yeah, I need to see it. I can't just be like, yeah, I could do that. Um, but I was like, yeah, I think I could probably work on it. Just show me it. And Travis was like, yeah, me too. And we're literally the only ones who responded. And so Matthew's like, all right, it's yours. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) No one else wants it. (laughs) This is not going the way I'd hoped, honestly, I'll be fair. (laughs) Sorry for that. But you know but that's true. Sometimes that's what happens. I mean, that's, well, that's how it and, works. But I think it's because Mage is a little daunting. Uh, sure. And I think a lot of our developers are, you know, I was a little intimidated about it. I was like, I'm going to have to see what, what you're talking about because I'm a little afraid of Mage. Um, it's got, it's got a, one, a big following, a lot of like super fans. It's also a little bit esoteric in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also um, material that I'm... Not that it's not, I'm not comfortable. I, I, I could develop or write anything really, honestly. Um, but it is something that has a lot of history. Like you said, it's got a lot of uh, dedicated fans. It's, it's got a lot of personality wrapped up in it. And so I was mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, I, uh, yeah, I could do that. Sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> um, and whereas where Danielle was cautious about this, um, you, you might not believe this looking at my workload, but I am pretty, uh, I have a process and I'm pretty choosy about what I decide to actually do. Mm-hmm. Are um, you? Because you have I, a I, lot of projects. 
No, it's true. Um, I feel like Travis will take anything you throw at him. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Mikey from the Life commercials. No, I, I, really, I, I really do. Uh, because I have so much going on, I have to do a lot of um, sort of uh, cranial kung fu before I say yes to anything uh, and figure out if it's going to fit mm-hmm. um, and if it's something I want to do. But when I got this email from Matthew, I was just like, sure. And who, who do I have to like take out at the knees to make sure this happens. Like, you know, like, and see, this is what I'm talking about. The fans are wild. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. See, I'm like an old school mage fan. It was, it was my favorite game, you know, from back in the day. So Travis, I was very excited by the opportunity. I, I do have to say, please, please don't take anybody out of the knees ever. <laughs> one of our jobs. Right. Please, please don't, please don't get violent. Right. <laughs> Some of us don't have great needs to begin with, to be honest. I mean, we don't. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> also, also, we just don't encourage violence in general in our freelancers. Right. It's <laughs> a valid point. point. Point taken. Note heard. <laughs> Note to self, do not attack other developers. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really worried now we're going to be at like PAX Unplugged and we see Travis walking around with like a tire iron. <laughs> no, I would I would hire someone to do that. Oh, no. Okay, so I'm gonna see some other dude like lurking around like Dawkins with a tire iron being like being like I want to be five for myself. Additional oh. note, do not hire anybody to do violence against developers. Okay, all right, note heard. Note heard. <laughs> Otherwise I just yeah, so I, I just imagine we're sitting here at, at a convention and someone just out of nowhere just gets tackled. Poof, you know. Oh my god. <laughs> Yes, I'm cementing my reputation as the Tanya Harding of RPG world. Oh, no. oh, <laughs> I will, no. however, not like I. I will not hesitate to use an exalted core book as a weapon if someone attacks one of us. So, well, I mean, they're just, I, that's what they're. I there will for. defend myself. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I mean, just drop Mage Twenty on somebody, and that would do some damage. Oh, I think God. Exalted's bigger than Mage Twenty. Is it really? I they're think they're roughly the same size. They are roughly the same size. Okay. That and. Those three books, uh, I say three because Dark Eras is also a, a beefy monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I thought B20 was big and then apparently a whole bunch of people come and say, cool, I can outdo that. It's like, no, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, my first 300,000 word project from uh, Rose before I took over was, uh, I think, Changeling 20. Oh, and then I also did Wraith. And I was like, why are these books so long? <laughs> Um, so Dinocracy is not 300,000 words. Um, it is at least not, I hope it's not. Thank God. No, <laughs> no it's not. <laughs> um, oh, but um, what is in it? T- the technocracy? Cool. Thanks, thanks for going to show. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Question the world's for, one bathcast. Question for Danielle. <laughs> right. Is it technocracy as playable or is it more akin to a night horrors book where it's technocracy as complete enemies? What's what's the gist of this book? Yes. No. Um, <laughs> Jesus Sorry. Christ, Danielle. <laughs> no. So, yeah, it is. Uh, its point of view is if you're really going to play the technocracy, um, if so it's it's very player focused it's very player facing it's very uh informative there's a lot of stuff for storytellers as well um but it is from the point of view of if you're going to make a technocracy character um what would that look like 
um, and and how to play games within the tech, you know, using technocracy as your your touchstone for, uh, you know, stories and and being playable characters, but also the technocracy make good antagonists for the tradition mages. And so there's a lot of material in there if you're running a game um, for how to run them well and how to make them really complex and good antagonists because they're not just, you know, they, they're they working at cross purposes, but they're not evil for evil's sake necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some pretty gross, terrible stuff they do because sometimes for them, the, the ends justify the means. Um, which is, you know, sometimes, well, pretty much always a bad take. Uh, so, you know, you, when you're looking at the technocracy as antagonists, sometimes they have really good motivations and they do terrible things to accomplish good goals. So you want to maybe try to rehabilitate them or teach them better ways. And they're really resistant to that because the technocracy is kind of also a cult who have brainwashed their members. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's lots of good antagonism in there, <laughs> but you could also play games with them. So yes, is really the answer. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's similar to like Orpheus uh, with, with Wraith, you know, yeah. where you can play as members of Orpheus. If you really want to, you can also use Orpheus as antagonists or NPCs in your Wraith Chronicle. Right. Like it, it, it very much makes sense as kind of almost a mini game of mage. Yeah. Yep. Which is what I think some of like the werewolf side books we talked about and like, you know, vampire ghouls and stuff are like, it's yep, almost right. like a mini game you can play. Yeah, it absolutely is. You could. I'm going to call it a mini game now. A mini game. <laughs> mini game. Happy. And now I'm well, imagining like a rhythm game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm like, thinking about like the like Final Fantasy VII dance off that I've yes. seen videos of, but oh, with yes. like a mage and a technocrat. Yes, it is the blitz ball <laughs> of the world of darkness. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Um, uh, well, and maybe this is more question for Travis since he's more of the kind of the established uh, mage fan, but the technocracy historically has had, let's generously say, a wide variety of interpretations over the course of the years it's been around. Um, so, so like, like you said, a lot of people talk to them as antagonists. Sometimes they've been sh- painted as, as pretty black and white villains. Um, sometimes in, particularly in the, um, technocracy uh, books themselves, the original kind of thin books to talk about each of the factions, they're portrayed much more like like heroes from their own perspective. So how did this project kind of reconcile all these different takes on them? Well, in a couple of different ways. Uh, for one thing, the established rhythm of uh, Mage's 20th Anniversary Edition is to sort of pre- present things as being metaplot neutral and then pepper in all these various... Uh, future fates and what we have in uh, this book called Disputed Data, um, mm. where it talks about the different metaplot options that have shown up throughout the years and how to incorporate or ignore those, right? Um, and for the most part, that work is done. So we present it in a point of view that is uh, as metaplot neutral as possible from the perspective of the technocracy. Um mm-hmm. But we have these things that we're addressing mostly in asides, sidebars. Uh, we have a chapter that's dedicated at the end to how to play out these various uh, things to their conclusion or to the next step of them. Uh, but there are other places where it got a little bit um, dicey. 
for example, the uh, <laughs> Void Engineers, there's an event, you know, the Avatar Storm that happened in um, Revised that mm-hmm. effectively required uh, Danielle, bless her soul, to write <laughs> two convention descriptions because the Void Engineers changed so much as a result oh of my. this. That we that we had no choice but to say this is what they're like if the Avatar storm happened, and this is what they're like if it didn't. <laughs> you know, there's there's just no other way to thread that needle. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. but yeah. So for the most part, though, it was it was about kind of presenting that uh, middle of the road. Uh, we are the heroes, though we acknowledge some of the flaws in our recent approaches. Um, and there's a bit of, uh, I think the thing that separates Reloaded from everything that's come before it is without getting into a whole lot of specifics, there's a certain amount of ownership that the technocracy is taking for its own plans and timetable, sort of jumping the shark. And okay. the effects that having these tools. Uh, distributed to the masses at the rate at which they were uh, without the proper guidance to go along with it has now kind of blown up in everyone's face. Um, So uh, things that one would look at an earlier incarnation of the technocracy and say, well, this makes sense. This is what they would like. Totalitarian governments um, play the you know the death throes of democracy in, in various nations um, climate change these are all things that were sort of set up as technocratic agendas in earlier editions um, but there's mm-hmm. really no way in in the 21st century to root for those and not and not be the right. uh, absolute villain um, so how right. do you how do you reconcile that? And the path that we took to reconciling that was uh, the technocracy going, you know, oh crap, we gave, you know, this uh, spider monkey a machine gun and that turned out horribly. Um, who knew? Who saw that coming? <laughs> right. How could we? Have <laughs> the spider monkey for one. And so now we have uh, little things to reconcile that. I'm particularly proud of uh, one example is a, uh, Void Engineer Iteration X um, joint venture. And there's a lot of these sort of uh, cross-convention initiatives we introduce in the book. Um, but mm-hmm. this one in particular is uh, that they've decided, you know, they realize that the rainforests are the lungs of the earth. And because it's Iteration X and uh, progenitor damage control working together to solve the problem, their plan is let's just send a bunch of hit marks and cyber tooth tigers down there and just start defending the forest. Right. Because so, right. Because, you know, um, this is complicated. Throw hit marks at it till it stops being complicated. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you explain what a hit mark is? That's not, oh, like, sure. Common um, terminology for most people. It, I don't think it's uh, hyper intelligence technologies marks one through 11, I believe now um, they are, uh, cyborgs they are the most commonly imagined hit mark is effectively a terminator with a chain gun that pops out of its back 
um, and and goes over its shoulder and shoots thousands of bullets at, at uh, mages. And a saber-toothed tiger is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I felt, like, I felt like that one was self-explanatory, right. but I feel like 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 a hit so, mark sounds like that could be anything. <laughs> like yeah. I'm like I don't yeah. know what that means. That's yeah, fair. they are. Uh, they're these. They're basically yeah. They're they're cyborgs. They're um, metallic uh, endoskeletons with a um, you know fleshy, fleshy uh, outside outside. Yeah. <clears throat> and they shoot things um, and make them stop doing what they're doing. Wait, did it? Did it? Did they look like people? They look oh, yeah. like people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're, 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 like, they're Terminator. Terminator first, but in Terminator, in my brain, I always think of like the silver and the, like the and fucking the Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're, they're... I have never seen the movies. I have only <laughs> seen pictures of the Terminators, <laughs> and I know it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I always think about like the liquid, the liquid, the robot body. Yeah. Um. Well, and there are different. Um. So hit marks have been used uh, by the technocracy going way back into, uh, uh, the. Um, dragons that have like there's nine different ways to refer to them and I don't want to be the one to refer to them wrong but they're uh, the um, in ancient China I believe the first hit marks were made out of clay in like 1000 BC sure. and so this this has been going on <clears throat> ever since sort of updating the this idea of this um, artificial person that acts as a guardian um, and then eventually as a weapon. And so they're also like the newest versions are made entirely out of nanotechnology. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're able to reconfigure their bodies as needed, mm-hmm. appear like anyone, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So there's a lot of cool, uh, we do have an upgrade to them in this edition. I think every book that is touched on, like every edition, there's a new hit mark gets rolled out. So. And that actually uh, ties into kind of my, my next question is that um, a lot of the 20th anniversary editions, you mentioned the, the meta plot agnostic kind of approach, and that's been intentional. But I know with games like Vampire and Werewolf, you can also kind of muddy the waters of actually what time things are happening in, kind of just like not mentioning technology, kind of keeping vague the local touchstones. And occasionally I know like a V20 and a little bit of Werewolf 20, we kind of, put in modern touchstones, but in ways that you can kind of opt in or out of those if needed, it's like referencing social media and whatnot. Um, it's really hard to do with technocracy because it's literally technology-centric. So did you even bother to reconcile those things? Or say, no, it, it, it's just now and live with it or what? Yeah, we we mostly, it is now times. Like we, we you know, we incorporated things like climate change and social media and the vastness of social media and the connectivity of the world and, you know, certain things that are happening now in the whatever, the 21st century um, in like really strong terms, maybe not 2020 exactly, but Mm -hmm. very close, uh, you know, issues with science deniers, issues with anti-vaxxers, issues with, uh, feeding the world, you know, things like that. And because the technocracy is, if any game is going to be a game that you set in current times and have problems because of current issues, technocracy is definitely one of them. Absolutely. Um, Cause they're so 
focused on technological advances and how the masses mm-hmm. respond to those things. And I think that's we, fair. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, we also, uh, you know, we were discussing with uh, Terry Robinson, of major podcast about like the actual presentation of the technology and mm-hmm. trying to um, write it in such a way that it would be um, most of the devices that we introduce are designed very specifically to pass as current tech. Um, but we also tried to, so like, for example, um, one of the common pieces of uh, equipment that agents have is a, is an ES phone. It's an enlightened science smartphone, uh, which mm-hmm. allows you to do neat things like download apps to use as apparatus for your uh, enlightened science. But um, it's designed to appear like a iPhone because mm-hmm. they would, to our to our sort of thinking is they would want to not draw a bunch of attention to themselves. Um, but I think that the way that we break those out in the descriptions um, sort of will make it easier for, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now um, for the, the storyteller to just make minor cosmetic adjustments and make it still work with what, mm-hmm. whatever our newest iteration of the, of the phone, you know, cell phone is or, you know, whatnot. Yeah, totally. And I think it's fair. I know like, um, it's some of the older books, uh, because the technocracy are very much against, um, doing, uh, overt magic. So they try all their, their quote unquote magic is done through technology, but some of the things that, we're very bleeding edge in like when technocracy first started coming out is just common now. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like, you know, uh, uh, having a tiny computer in your pocket was very much the don't show this to anybody because it could cause problems. And now it's just like, mm-hmm. well, like I said, we all have smartphones. Um, so I also. No, your mini computer, Eddie. Don't talk about your mini computer. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will know. You're, you're violating the compact. I was I was uh, digression, but I was uh, reading an old comic book the other day, and I was talking about Palm Pilots, and I was just like, oh, oh, that <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> that was like the new exciting thing. I'm so oh happy. man, I forgot that those were a thing. I know, right? I love I love every time I read some old media and they talk about their like you know super cool flip phone or whatever, and I'm just like, oh, oh, you poor sweet baby, <laughs> my Motorola Razor. <laughs> Well, also because like the like trend for so long. I mean, if you watched even like Zoolander, was that phones were getting smaller and smaller, and that was great and great. And all of a sudden, it's like I would like a Samsung S twenty plus Note giant phone. (laughs) Can I have a phone that is the size of an iPad? And it's like, why? (laughs) Like for those that sweet viewing screen. Duh. Phones used to fit in my pocket though, and now they don't because pants. Pockets that are made for women are stupid. Women, you true. headphones that ever fit in your pockets? Want to know I about mean, those yeah. pants? Yeah, little little ass flip phones. <laughs> My little Nokia flip phone that folded down to like two inches by two inches or whatever oh, it was. Back in the before times. Back in the before times. <laughs> I had a phone that both fit in my pocket and that I could chuck at a brick wall and it wouldn't hurt it. So. Oh man. Yeah, you could play snake and lick it. <laughs> I was so good at that game. <laughs> I was really good at that game. But I was also really good at texting with the number pad. Yes. Oh, God, yes. Same. We had to press every button one to four times, depending <laughs> on what you were doing. Yeah. It was a skill I never mastered. Oh I, uh, 
I was I was very pleased to finally get my first BlackBerry, um, so mm. that I could type with a full keyboard with keys that were That's I don't know the tiniest thing that ever existed. I don't even know how they printed on those keys. Welcome to the Onyx Cell Phone Nostalgia Cast. Remember when phones didn't have cameras? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do remember that. My first phone was a Nokia brick, and I remember that we used to go to the kiosk in the mall to get cool little cases to put on them yes. so they would look cool and yes. different. Because um, we all had pretty much the same phone. Like, I got my first phone in late high school, mm -hmm. and it was supposed to be, uh -huh. you know, emergency only to contact my mom, yep. but I did not use it for that because yep. no one did. Yep. Um, I think I once racked up a very high phone bill because mom told me to use my phone to make long distance calls because it did, there, there wasn't a long distance fee, uh -huh. oh, but right. she did not tell me that we had minute restrictions. Oh. So I racked up a very large phone bill one time. I got in major trouble for that. Yeah. But yeah, Nokia brick, but like not, not the original, like, like, you know, the night, the, I guess, 2001, 2002 version. Oh no. But I do remember when I got my little pink flip phone. It was not a razor because I was not cool enough for that. It was the Nokia Razor knockoff. Oh right. yeah, uh huh. That's that 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 was my phone for a very long time, and it did have a camera, and it took the worst pictures. I never yeah. got a flip phone because I was worried about them breaking in half. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I had like multiple friends whose razors broke in half. I, I remember that happening. Actually, one of my razors did that. Yeah, I was I was terrified of I can't afford another phone. And so I and have now, to get one that is always a brick. And now we all walk around with $1,200 fragile-ass computers in our pockets. Yeah. But <laughs> fragile, but oh, also, like, I, one that's never broken in half on me. <laughs> no, but the screens do shatter. I have, I have cracked almost every cell phone screen I've had through very little fault of my own. Paradox. Okay. Yes. That was a fun. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I was right, trying to think of a segue and I, and I just couldn't, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother with a segue. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I mean, you guys talked a lot about um, uh, uh, had you know characters and you know, cool factions and whatnot. Um, so, but you also earlier on, I think it was Danielle mentioned that they're also like a cult to a certain degree. Um, so I'm wondering, like, it, do you, how, how much do you guys dig into like? what it's like living inside the technocracy. Oh, a lot. There's, yeah, there's a lot of yeah, that. There's a, there's a significant chapter, um, that is dedicated to, uh, the daily existence of a technocrat. Um, and it goes through the various levels of loyalty because mm -hmm. as you, when you first start out in technocracy, you're told, you know, where to go, what to eat, you know, it's it's like that speech in the beginning of Men in Black. You'll eat what we tell you to. You'll you know live where we tell you to. Yada yada yada. Um, oh yeah. But then, as your loyalty increases, you get more privileges. So I think, if I remember correctly, it's at the third rank of loyalty that you get the privilege of marriage, for example. And so we have a whole section on marriage and the family and how that works in the technocracy. What happens if you divorce a fellow technocrat? Uh, things along those mm -hmm. lines. I was never super creeped out by the technocracy until you just started listing like stuff from going clear. <laughs> now yeah, now they I'm do have, out by uh, them. They're structured very similar to Scientology in that regard. Um, that they have these stages of, of loyalty and or enlightenment 
that you have to earn through performance. Yep. Yeah. I was never like freaked out by them the way that my old uh, storytellers used to describe them. I was like, they sound kind of cool, actually. They got all this technology. Now I hate them. Now, now, now they're scary villains. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> I mean, they are cool. They're still cool. Yeah. I don't know. If I mean, cool there's anymore. cool Scientologists, too, I suppose. They're just. <laughs> are there? Yikes. <laughs> I like Will, I like Will but Smith. It also... <laughs> But I mean, you know, it also okay. it also reminds me a, a bit of this is a kind of outside reference, but um, uh, the Larry Hama GI Joe comics, the way they portrayed Cobra, um, was was weirdly kind of similar. Like um, the 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 Crimson Guard, they would have families of of, of Crow people, and there's a whole storyline where a father, the family died, and so they just sent a new person who looked just like him to be their father. Um, and it's like, cool, you're I, I'm your husband now, and it was super creepy and weird. Um, yes. And it sounds like these are the kinds of things you're digging into a little bit with technocracy in the sense that they're, they're almost treating people like interchangeable cogs. Yes, a little bit. I don't I don't know. I, I Yes, a little bit, but also, you know, ne- maybe not quite as interchangeable. This person looks exactly like your husband. He's your okay, husband fair. now. So, but, but something like, oh, your husband died in the line of duty or something like that. We'll make sure to take care of you. And here's a new husband. Or... Mm. Or depending on your uh, convention and your level of achievement, maybe here's a clone of your husband. Here's a clone, right? Um, you can; th- those would be the kinds of things you could earn, probably. Um, yeah. Though we probably. don't address that specific uh, scenario, sure. that sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> it does. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that would be like the kind of thing that you could earn, and we we spend some time talking about. Um, how the the pros and cons of uh, technocratic um, individuality versus membership of the union, right? So, um, and, and I, for example, um, the technocracy does not care about your gender identity, sexual orientation, uh, nationality, um, you know, any any of these sort of um, for lack of a better term, uh, physical, like cosmetic um, aspects of a person, they care about your performance. <clears throat> but having mm-hmm. said that, that also means that they're not exceptionally, th- their level of supportiveness is and begins and ends there. Yeah, they're right. not celebrating those things either. They just don't care. Uh, so, you know, if there's some problem arises because of a thing like in, you know, you're expected to just get over it and the person who maybe instigated something is expected to stop doing that. Um, so it's like a, a two way, like, no, you shouldn't care about those things. We don't care about those things, but also we, we know we really don't care about those things. You're not allowed to celebrate it or have pride in it or, engage in it in any positive way either right because you don't want people to start finding identity outside of technocracy exactly yeah it is it's very cult-like in that way uh you know you're gay who cares i don't i don't care at all but also you don't go to pride like <laughs> if you're at pride you right. better be chasing someone that you're apprehending right <laughs> you know? 
that kind of thing. Right. right. And so it, it looks, it's progressive, but only because of the like cult, like regressive nature of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, be, being completely apathetic to that stuff is also not, not the best look, no. but it, it's better than actively hating somebody for one of those things. Right. And they don't want people to actively hate on it either, because that is also expressing a certain type of individuality. Yeah, all of it's taking away from energy they could be focusing on doing technocrat things. Right, exactly. So it sound, sounds like a very kind of uh, a bland corporate inclusivity where it's like, we welcome everyone. And yes. so that that kind of talking about how they welcome everyone lasts until you've already signed on the dotted line. Then it's the cool, go to your cubicle and be productive citizen. Yes, very right. much and, so. And we welcome everyone uh, quietly, which is also... Which carries its own whole giant bag of bricks with, you know, in terms of inclusivity, right? (laughs) It's it's not great. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, but it's, um, it's functional and that's what technocracy is uh, ultimately, that's what they ultimately care about is operational tempo and, um, you know, your... uh, the uh, success of your field operations and all these various, there's a, a laundry list of acronyms that we introduce in this book that are the technocratic jargon and that are the measurements of performance. Um, mm-hmm. that I think are uh, super fun to dive into and look at, and you can, you can obviously incorporate or ignore as you choose at the table, but I think they offer a really interesting insight into how this little subset of the world actually would continue to function. So it's a bit like uh, the paranoia role-playing game, but played straight. Not satire. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, you know, yeah, security levels and, and metrics and, you know, do this citizen. Um, so, okay. So uh, let's go back to the stuff that, so people tend to get excited about technocracy, uh, um, the, the gadgets, the toys, the, the technology. Um, you obviously had to have done some stuff. That. So tell us a little bit about what you did with like devices and stuff like that. So one of the um, design principles that we tried to adhere to with the devices was to break them out in such a fashion where not only do you have like this cool piece of tech, right? Like you have, um, mm-hmm. just as an example, there's a device, can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's a pair of tacks that you stick into a wall and it creates effectively a portable hole. You just cut the hole right. in the wall. Right. Uh, not wow. only does, because sometimes the technocracy gets a little cartoony. Um, so, mm-hmm. sure, yeah. <laughs> so, um, not only do you get the device and how it works and what its functions are and what the traits you need to spend to acquire it are, um, but we also describe the enlightened science procedure required to do it. And then we have a little um, sort of note in that chapter where it talks about uh, agents who are trained in enlightened science in the, in the spheres required to do these effects um, can replicate them in the field uh, with if they have proper apparatus. So basically, it serves as not only a gadget chapter, but also sort of a spell book. Because, okay. you know, if an agent maybe doesn't have a laser watch, 
but they know the principles behind a laser watch, they might be able to rig something together with, you know, the camera from their phone and a car battery and, you know, uh, their mirror shades. So, so there's a bit of a MacGyverish stuff in there too. Right. A, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, trying to drive home the idea that these things operate on principles that the technocratic union have agreed as a whole work. Right. So right. they can uh, do that. But yeah, we have a ton of cool things in there ranging from your sort of, uh, 007 ish, uh, super spy gear, um, to the uh-huh. cartoony portable hole, to <laughs> void ships and, and, you know, spacesuits yes. and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a whole chapter on it. So there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Nice. And actually, um, mentioning the void there reminded me, um, another aspect of the technocracy that I think sometimes people don't, um, uh, uh, remember or don't dig into all the times is the fact that it can get to straight up space opera at points with like yes. uh, uh, the, the people who actually go off and explore the Umbra and other dimensions. And so how much do you guys dig into that as well? I mean, most of that's really isolated, I think, to the void engineers uh, right. because they're the ones who are doing that. Mm. Uh, so there's some discussion about that in the void engineer section. and uh, But the book itself doesn't get really deep into all of that stuff. And also, you know, unfortunately, because a void engineer um, – before the avatar, like without the avatar storm, it is that really like deep space exploration, a deep umbra exploration, meeting alien beings, mm-hmm. dealing with alien tech and all that kind of stuff, which is super cool. But after, you know, if the avatar storm happened, then a lot of that gets shut down. Um, mm. They have to pull back and be closer in, in not in the deep umbra, but in the closer umbra because of they've lost so much anchor it like it tore of a lot of their permanent stations out of orbit. It fucked them up royally. Like the void engineers are honestly a completely different convention between these two, you know, if depending on if this event happened. Mm-hmm. And because that's true, we can only devote so much time talking about the space exploration aspect of it. I say space exploration, but that's kind of what it is, right? No, sure. Because what you're looking at, not only it's only limited to one faction, it's only limited to one interpretation of one faction. Right, exactly. And I think but that's it's, it's definitely talked about. <laughs> okay. So, so it is there at least. Yes. Yeah. I think that, I think that's fair because because again it, it's the technocracy is always been kind of an odd grab bag of concepts that has over time coalesced in here but that was always one that's struck me as interesting because like some people get really into that one small kind of chunk of, but I think it's fair of all World Darkness games and particularly Mage games where there's so many ideas in there that people kind of gravitate to one small piece of it and go this is really my thing and I'm really into right that. yeah I, I I'm a huge fan of that aspect of it. <laughs> I was privileged enough to be able to write it, but yeah, it's not a large section of the book, but it is definitely included in the Void Engineers section. There's some other places throughout the book Absolutely. where we where we got to pepper yeah. in some things. Um, I I got to make sure that we had the ziggle uh, aliens. Um, 
Is that the official pronunciation? What? I don't get the joke. I'm sorry. Really hard to pronounce. Yeah, there's an alien. um, I don't know if you've ever heard the like. There's this trope that if you need an alien race, you just use consonants and uh, apostrophes. Um, Whoever came up with this uh, Mm -hmm. alien race in first edition Mage took that shit seriously. It's really just <laughs> consonants and apostrophes. Uh, and it starts with a Z. So I always call them the Because I don't think it's... I'm sure they have a real name. And there's a real way to pronounce it. Terry was spot on with yeah. pronouncing it when we but, did the uh, interview with him. I was <laughs> yeah, impressed. We them and they're kind of these 10th dimensional beings. So they sort of phase in and out of existence. And uh, very, very scary... Um, you know, alien creatures that even the Void Engineers don't understand. Um, but they have really were mentioned in first edition. Um, apparently, uh, Phil Bricado hated them, so they never showed up again. And then, uh, which I just discovered recently as we were planning the Technocracy podcast, or the actual play. Um, but, but, I, but I put them right back in. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. <laughs> you, go, you go on vacation right. for five minutes and see what happens. <laughs> Adventure beings back in the books. I thought it was I thought they'd make an uh, antagonist for the void engineer. Something that because uh, the theory goes that enlightened science can't explain them, so they're terrifying to the technocracy. Sure. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that makes sense. And also, I mean, especially with anniversary editions, um, you kind of have to tread in middle ground because uh, I, I know, for example, like on May twenty, there were some factions that just in some cases wrote out, but in some cases flat out murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a, people are all dead now. Um, and it's like, cool, but we need to kind of work them back in the Tremorian Tribute, for example. Um, so it's like you want to celebrate everything in the game one to a certain degree. So yeah, sometimes you have to kind of say, cool, but we're bringing these guys back. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a celebration of everything that came before, not some things and not the other things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so we're getting a little close on time. Uh, so before we start to wrap up, um, it, what is one thing that each of you thinks is really cool about the book that you're hoping people will like? Oh, man. Terry asked us the same question. Um, so <laughs> for me, I think uh, I think the convention write-ups are really cool. Uh, I think the in-depth look at what the conventions look like all in this book instead of having to be you know in each individual convention book is is really i think they've done a really good job of keeping it concise and keeping it interesting in the sections that they've been allocated and i think that people are going to really dig the the expanded conventions from the m20 book is essentially what you're looking at because we based all of the information from m20s really small splat pages of the conventions and really broke those out into a much more detailed description. So I'm really hype about those. Cool. How about you, Travis? Oh, there's so much, but I think um, I'm a huge fan of like uh, epic storytelling. Right. And so uh, mm-hmm. in unit eight, the last chapter of the book is all about sort of how to, tie up these meta plots that have been um, introduced throughout the years and where to go Mm -hmm. from there. And I'm just thrilled that I got to be involved with that section. Um, 
and thrilled at the way that it sort of all comes together and the way that you can, you know, having the benefit of hindsight, having the benefit of 26 years now worth of books to look at, uh, really sort of come up with kind of cool places to, to pin these and the cool places to go after. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. one of those has sort of now spun out into uh, one of our stretch goals, you know, um, in the Player's Companion, which we're now into, um, you know, we've had a couple of bumps on that as a stretch goal, uh, getting mm-hmm. into the idea of cross-factional play. Um, yeah. You oh. know, one of the things that we uh, introduce repeatedly, I think, in this book, it's fair to say, Danielle, correct me if you think I'm wrong here is the idea that the true enemy of the Ascension conflict this entire time has been sort of gross human ignorance and stupidity. Um, yeah. And so it, one of the potential like places to go is the technocracy, having had the realization that um, they gave tools, they pushed the timetable too fast, too far, and it has now blown up in everyone's face. Um sort of eating some humble pie and turning to the other factions of the Ascension War and going, uh, help? Maybe? Maybe we were wrong when we were blowing your chantries up? Um, <laughs> Awkward. Right. Um, <sighs> and so what does that look like and how does that play at the table? Now, obviously, they're probably not going to go to the Nefandi for some help. Um, you know, but, right. but there are plenty of other options in Mage. Um, and getting the chance to explore those um, we had to introduce it in uh, Reloaded, which is awesome. And now that the player's companion is starting to build, the possibility of exploring those is uh, very exciting to me. Um, they just, as of this recording, just announced the uh, Unlikely Allies 2 stretch goal, which would give us a chance to look at uh, incorporating the Disparate Alliance in a campaign, which would be super fun to work on. Nice. Yeah, because I guess this would be the last kind of real playable faction for the mages, right? So it makes sense. Now's the time to kind of say, cool, here's I can play them all together or not as you see fit. Right, exactly. So, sort of ways to ways to introduce it, ways to introduce it where, you know, that, that are like, you know, um, yay, let's go fight the enemy and ways to introduce it that are all sorts of cloak and dagger, you know, <laughs> like nobody trusts everyone and we're all tired. Right. You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I just need a nap. <laughs> awesome. Great. Well, um, so, so yeah, it sounds really exciting. Um, that is all for the technocracy reloaded Kickstarter. It is still going on now as we're putting this up. Go so definitely it. go back, check it out. Yes. Go back it. Um, it is, it's doing great, but the more people that contribute to it, the more stretch goals we can unlock and into cool stuff like Travis just mentions. Um, and also other kind of potential upgrades down the line. Uh, yeah. So thank you guys both for coming on and, and talking about this. Um, Thanks for having pe- us. No problem. If people want to find you online, Danielle, and talk to you about Technocracy Reloaded, where will they find you? Uh, well, they can uh, find me on Facebook. Uh, I have Danielle Lozon author page that you can come talk to me at, or you can check out my website, which is daniellelozon.com, um, to see other work I've worked on and maybe support me a little bit. Sounds good. And Travis, what about you? I am at Travis Leg pretty much everywhere that there is social media. Uh, I stream on Twitch at Plastic Age Plays. And uh, you can occasionally see me over at the Onyx Path Twitch channel as well. Um, occasionally. 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 Uh, including. Okay. Uh, 
Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern for at least the duration of this Kickstarter and perhaps a week or two afterward. I'm going to be playing in like an all-star uh, technocracy reloaded actual play that's not entirely, you know, making me nervous as all get out. Um, <laughs> I'm running mage for Phil Bricado. I don't know how I get myself into these situations. <laughs> I mean, I also heard that Phil Bricado has not played Mage 20, which not, I think yeah. is amazing. Like, right. There is a certain amount of like, oh, do you want to run D&D for Gary Gygax? You know? Um, sure, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I think it's going to be fun. We've had a lot of uh, cool conversations going into it um, and very excited uh, about what we have going on. So definitely check that out. That sounds like a ton, a ton of fun. I know it's, it's actually weird. Um it is pretty rare that you end up playing in the games that, that you design or work on. Like it's not uncommon to run them, particularly like at conventions. You have two tons of demos. You get used right. to running them, but actually right. playing in games you've worked on. It, it, it's, it's, it's almost kind of a weird experience too. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I, for the same reason that Travis just described every time somebody's like, Oh man, Danielle, I really want to run a game of, seventh c or vampire the requiem but um i'm afraid to run a game for you yeah and i'm like what why <laughs> what if i do it wrong mm -hmm. i will not correct you right do it wrong i don't care right if, if we're telling stories and rolling dice then i think you're doing it right um right i think i think both danielle and myself are very excited right now to be in a private l5 oh game. my god it's amazing run run by somebody who isn't either yes, of us it's wow. so good um it's a rare it's yeah. a rare treat enjoy it i i haven't got a chance to play a starlands character since i don't know when um i would love an opportunity to do that at some point so if anyone's listening wants to run starlands for me <laughs> <laughs> it won't be me i'm sorry i like the nd fifth i would just have to brush up on my uh Mascardlands lore. Yeah, I, I also just am tired of running games. You know, you could do that with the uh, <laughs> Vigil Watch products that are coming out uh, bi-monthly for Monix Path Publishing. Just throwing that out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm pathologically, re I'm required by the pact I made with uh, demonic entities to... To, uh, to plug his game every plug moment. Plug every way I can. I've, I don't think you should call Rich Thomas a demonic entity. <laughs> I mean, he does have a jangly silver bell. Right, yeah. <laughs> he rang it, and I answered. Ring my bell, my bell. I think we better go before we all get fired. So, let's see. <laughs> you can't fire me. You never hired me in the first place. You fired me or quit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just pictured Eddie just like, like going backwards with both both middle fingers. <laughs> that is you can't buy me a quiz. That is surprisingly on brand for me. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's that's a thing you can actually do in Disco Elysium, and uh, it can turn out very poorly or very well for oh, you. Man. Yeah, it's like near the beginning of the game. There's a moment where when you're uh, you're arguing with the the uptight barista, um, you you can choose. To go out with a bang, and you essentially launch yourself backwards with both middle fingers up. But if you don't roll very well, you end up running into somebody and breaking a pinball. Amazing! <laughs> amazing. This Coliseum is amazing, and I want to get back to it once my computer works again. Uh, uh, yeah. So, Dixie, if you want to talk to you about this Coliseum, where do they find you? 
I mean, I'm on the Disco Elysium Discord. There you go. So okay, cool. You can tag me in there. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you can find me at Dixie Cyanide pretty much anywhere. So. Um, and you Eddie? can find me uh, pretty much most places at uh, pugsteady.com. I have standardized the spelling because Dixie pointed out to me that I kept spelling it two different ways. <laughs> um, and it made no sense. So anywhere pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y, you'll probably find me. So like the word pug and the word right. steady. Right, yes, it's much easier. Not like the word pugs and then a T and then the word Eddie. Right. Which is extra it's confusing any sense. because people might assume your name is Teddy Webb. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. See, Pugs Teddy. Pugs Teddy sounds like a 1930s game. Or, or <laughs> the most adorable. Yeah, I gotta go talk to Pugs. Or the most adorable Pugmire tie-in stuffed animal. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't Aww. know. I was just thinking that I have to tell Danielle. I think that might be my new adventure character is Pugs Teddy. Pugs Teddy. <laughs> Pugs perfect. <laughs> I definitely once once adventures move along a little bit further, I definitely want to run a game with some ridiculous people like you and Ian and maybe Neil. Oh my God. Well, and with Dixie. the, you know, with the telluric energy, you could easily be a pug. You could. That's true. Oh my God. Could you be three pugs in a trench coat? I could literally be three pugs in a trench coat. Yes. Pugs Teddy. <laughs> and by literally, I mean not but, at all literally. But there will be signature character Francis <laughs> who has... He has a monocle. Oh, no. And a top hat. And, and a fedora. This is, this is ending terribly. <laughs> you can find all this ridiculousness online at theonyxpath.com. Uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we have Discord. We have our own forums. So feel free to come by and tell us just how ridiculous we are being and we appreciate it um and if you have ideas for future pathcast episodes or if you want to just say that you miss matthew deeply in this sonorous voice um, feel free to let us know that as well because we miss him too as always many worlds one pathcast. Mm-hmm.